Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios inside the Win Las Vegas. And I must admit, a little bit of a buzz in Las Vegas right now on the Strip. Don't usually venture down to the Strip on Saturdays, but here we are. First full Saturday of college football. It's Labor Day weekend. There's a lot of stuff happening. I'm out here working, just trying to get in, get out, you know, find parking and see what we can do. A couple of quick housekeeping items here. The season-long one and done, the ability to choose uh, one golfer every single week, take their earnings for the entire year, starts on September 15th, 16th, whatever that Thursday is for the Fortinet Championship. It will run Fortinet Championship to the BMW Championship. There will be another secondary one and done that starts in January when most people like to get involved. But if you're a sicko like myself, you want to get involved on the start of the season, not the start of the new year that's available for you. I think it's 44 different events. So we will be scraping the bottom of the barrel just a little bit to make sure that we uh, can find some solid options over the course of the week. All the details for that, very simple. In the link in the description, get you signed up, get you ready to rock and roll. Last season's had 679 different entries, which is fun. Good way to uh, keep your mind thinking about golf every single week. Settle on one single golfer. If I was sick, we would do a full season two and done, or no, a one and done, but with two golfers. Two and done would imply that you get to use the golfer twice. That's not what we're going to do. But this is just your regular one and done. This is the bizarro time of the golf calendar, right? We've got basically 48 weeks a year in which the PGA Tour is playing somewhere in the world. This not one of them, right? Tour championship ends last week. New season starts next week. We're stuck in golf purgatory a little bit, trying to figure out what the best things to do are. There's obviously Live Golf. They have an event uh, outside of Boston. The European Tour uh, is playing. LPGA out there in action as well. So there, there is other golf going on, but the PGA Tour uh, not coming back until they go to Napa for California. Corn Ferry is going on as well. Um What I wanted to do, and these are always generally uh, quite well received, is to go back and look at the season that was and what we can learn from it. Now, there is, to me, a massive gaping hole in the industry in terms of review and recap, and I'm certainly guilty of this as well. You know, when when a golf tournament ends Sunday night, it's easy to look forward to next week's event. And then Monday morning, the odds come out. And then Monday afternoon, the salaries come out. And it's full steam ahead into the next full week of action. But um, there's very few opportunities for us to look back just with the nature of the content game. And I actually mentioned this before on, on one of like the, you know, if you want to turn fantasy sports into your career podcasts, there's a huge market or at least an opportunity for like recap stuff, right? I mean, that that's where... Uh, if you look at kind of the poker industry has has done a lot of, right? There's been a lot of recap and coaching and all the vlogs that you see are looking backwards, obviously not looking forwards because that would be impossible. But there there is a a infrastructure in place for this that I think would be very, fairly well received in our industry with nobody doing it. So you'd have very little competition if you were able to get there. So um and you'd have you'd have content that needs to be out specifically Sunday night or Monday morning, but otherwise I think it'd be really, really good. The year that just happened, the 2022 PGA Tour season was the year of the chalk, arguably the chalkiest season, at least in recent memory. And I've got some data to back it up, but just 
roll through your mental Rolodex for a second. Uh, how many multiple winners did we have? I know the answer. We'll get to that in a second. How often did one of the favorites win? It felt like a ton. For somebody like me who lives in that 30 to 60 to 1 betting range, a lot of weeks I got smoked, right? And I know a lot of people who like to live outside the 80s and the 100 to 1 got smoked. DFS purposes, how often was one of the highest priced golfers or one of the 10K guys winning the event? Often, right? Those pivots, those pivots that are usually so incredibly valuable were not as valuable in 2022. Doesn't feel that way, at least. Did the data back it up? Uh, the answer is yes. So there's a lot of different ways that we could go about looking at this for year of the chalk, chalkiest season ever, and at least the last four or five years. I'd have to go back and run a lot more numbers to get further back than that. Maybe back to the Tiger era. I bet you the Tiger era was pretty chalky, right? When Tiger was winning 25% of the events that he was teeing it up in, when his odds to win major championships were even money, it was him against the field. Uh, when if DraftKings would have existed, he would have been $17,000, something outrageous. I bet you those were pretty chalky years. And the events that filled, or the events that Tiger didn't win filled one, right? 44 of them or 45 of them. So uh, certainly probably one of the chalkiest years post Tiger Woods. If you only made one bet a week and you made a $100 bet a week and you were the best handicapper on planet Earth and every single week, the one bet that you made for $100 ended up being the winner, you would have made $185,250. That's over 44 events. Uh, on average, you would have made $4,200 an event. That's obviously unrealistic. <laughs> if you're able to pull that off, congrats, right? Like that's impossible. You're, it's not, right? Anything close to that, any, a fraction of that would have been incredible. The reason that I break it down like this is because it shows how much chalk actually rolled in. So again, one $100 wager a week, you find the winner every single week for 44 weeks, 185,000. Last year, the 2021 season, which had more events, 50 events, you would have made $352,000, $7,200 on average. So already you're seeing basically half the return in one season to another. 2020 was 34 events, obviously a shorter season, $237,500 on average, $7,200. So again, 2020 and 2021 were very, very similar within $4 of one another from $7,196 to $7,200 on average, which means the average winning odds were about 72 to 1. Okay, so that, that counts up all your 30 to 1s, your 8 to 1s, your 150 to 1s, your 300 to 1s. And on average, we're living in that 72 to 1 range. That's where the winners were. The average winner was 72 to 1. This year, it was 42 to 1. Half the odds. We've, 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 we've cut them in half. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's, but, but the fact of the matter is, um, if you were the best golf better on planet Earth in 2022, you did not make as much as if you were the best golf better on the planet in 2021 or in 2020 because the winners were significantly shorter. More than half the winners in 2020, excuse me, in 2022, 23 out of 44 of them were shorter 
than 30 to 1. Think about that. For years, and correctly so, the 30 to 60 to 1 range disproportionately won on the PGA Tour. That was not even remotely the case in 2022. Half of the winners were shorter than 30 to 1. In fact, 38% of the winners were shorter than 20 to 1. Think about this, okay? You have a situation in which a lot of people and a lot of smart people out there will often tell you you can't realistically bet anyone who's shorter than 20 to 1. It's not going to pay off as much. I get closer to like 12 to 1, but that's a realistic strategy or theory or hypothesis that a lot of smart, sharp people put into effect. And it makes sense, right? The guys that are at the top of the betting board are significantly overvalued. They are the guys that are generally going to get the the majority or the plurality of the money coming in on them. There's They're not going to win the golf tournament as frequently as they need to to beat the implied odds. And for a long time, for at least the last probably decade, that's been true, was not true in 2022. Those shorter numbers were hitting much more frequently than we've ever seen before. So before this season, um, sorry, and I think I actually might have misspoke there. So let's let's recap. 38 to 1 winners, 38 winners were 20 to 1 or shorter. Oh boy. No, no. Here we go. I'm on the correct line right now. 23 of 44. Half the winners were 30 to 1 or shorter. 17 were 20 to 1 or shorter. Okay, we're all on the same page. That is still correct. In the last 137 events, so that goes back 2022, 2021, 20, and halfway through 2019, which is when I started tracking all of this. In the last 137 events, only 38 winners were 20 to 1 or shorter. 38, that's 29%. Of those 38, 17 of them were from this last year. So you're looking at three and a half years worth of data and half of the shorties came in in the last season. It's mind-boggling. It's it's disproportionate. I don't know if it's something that's going to continue, but this was clearly an outlier year. It feels even worse than that, right? If you're a guy like me who lives in the 30 to 60 range, if you're a guy like me who generally stays away from the chalky guys, for fantasy golf, you got smoked in the last 15 weeks of the year uh, because eight of the last 15 winners that we just saw, tour championship, back 15 events, were shorter than 20 to 1. Think about it. Tony Finau won a couple of times. Sander Shoffley won a couple of times. Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, right? These are the guys that won down the stretch. Uh, They were the favorites. And... If you were playing not the chalk, if you were fading the chalk, uh, you were getting smoked. So not only do, do the numbers hold up over the course of the entire 2022 season, but even more recently, just the last four months, were some of the shortest, chalkiest winners that we've seen in a 15-event stretch. It hurts. It hurts. I hope it doesn't keep up, or at least we're going to have to change a lot of different things. Before this season started... of the winners were shorter than 20 to 1, the shorties. We doubled that rate this year, basically 44%. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, this doesn't doesn't just impact the shorties, right? Also impacts the longer shot guys. Because if if the 
the favorites are winning, the guys with the short odds are winning, who's not winning? Everybody else. The 30s to 60s, the 60s to 100s, the 100 plus. So on the other end of the spectrum, before this year, 21% of the winners on tour, dating back to mid-2019, were 100 to 1 or longer. That's good. It's great value, right? You find it. The Jim Hermans of the world, the KH Lees of the world, um, Hudson Swafford, right? JJ Spawn, right? The guys you can find for 100 or 200 or 300 to 1. Before this year, they were winning 21% of the time. This year, 11% of the time. Cut it in half. That's when the math starts to add up. When you realize if you bet the winner by himself every single week in 2021, you would have made $352,000. This year, you only made one hundred eighty five dollars because you would have found the guys who were 250 to 1 for 25 grand or 300 to 1 for three for 30 grand. You would have found all of those guys. You didn't find them this year. You know, there were only a handful off the top of my head, I think. So there were, there were five of them. I think it was uh, Swaffer at the American Express, which I thank God happened to be on, salvage my season. I think J.J. Spawn, um, K.H. Lee in his title defense. There's more. Uh, Molinax at Barbasol, I believe, falls in there. I think he was 150 to 1. And there was one more in which... Do I have it handy? Can I remember it? Um, Sepp Straka, I think, was the other one. Sepp Straka at Honda. I believe was 110, 115 to one. So those are the five. That's it. In any other year, we probably would have had twice that number. And, you know, 44 events is not a small sample size, right? That's an entire season. Why are the shorties winning more often? And are they going to continue to win? You know, there is a little bit of a concern, and it's not a concern, but something that we have to keep an eye on uh, who who has gone to live, right? Uh, Brooks and Bryson, and well now Cam Smith and uh, Abraham Answer and Joaquin Neiman and uh, Taylor Gooch and right I, I don't have all the names off the top of my head. Those are the guys that kind of lived in the thirty to sixty to range, thirty to sixty to one range, right? So are we in a, now in a phenomenon where? That range that for half a decade significantly and disproportionately outperformed its expectation is now the thinnest it's ever been. And now the guys that did stay are supremely talented. They have shorter odds and they're going to win more frequently. I, 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 could, I could probably get on board with that, right? That, that is at least somewhat of an answer for why we saw so many short guys winning and we might see so many short guys continue to win. So I'm likely, you know, in, in one week when Fortinet starts and Max Homa, maybe he's, maybe he's short because he's defending. I don't know who else is going to be in the field. I'm probably going to have to think long and hard about it, right? Going to have to think maybe we're seeing a little bit of a correction that is being amplified by the middle of the tour leaving. Something to consider. These chalky outcomes also translated to fantasy golf. So there's a big difference here, right? When I say 
2022 was the chalkiest season. Yes, the, the, the guys at the top of the betting board won much more freak, frequently than before, but that does not necessarily mean they were popular, right? You know, when you compare the shortest guys on the board to the handle that some of these books took in, they, they, they might not align. And in fantasy, you know, you can't just say, what about the, the highest priced salary guys? Well, they're not also, they're not really chalky, right? They're expensive, but they're not necessarily popular. So what I did is I used the ownership percentages and said, okay, um, the guys that were actually chalky, the guys that were actually popular, how frequently were they performing to X or to Y and how did that compare to previous years? So let's look at it. I cut it off at, at a couple different points. Um, 20% owned or more, 25% owned or more, 30% owned or more. To me, that's, that's, that's quite popular. Right, I you you could say it's anything over sixteen. Okay, uh, I, it, it doesn't matter. What, whatever you whatever you want. I, I did twenty, twenty five, and thirty of golfers who were twenty percent owned or more. They returned an average value of eight point seven times their salary. So this is a calculation that levels the playing field for guys based on their salary. It's not perfect, but it's very easy. Right, you take the salary for a golfer divide it by 1,000, and divide their fantasy points over that. For example, very easy scenario. You take 10,000, you divide it by 1,000, you get 10. A golfer who scores 100 fantasy points divided by 10, their value per their salary is 10x. They return 10 times their value because 100 points over 10 is 10. This does an okay job at saying the expensive golfers need to return more value than the cheaper guys do, right? And this is much better for uh, fantasy basketball, for example, which is such a such an average-based game. Uh, LeBron needs to score more points than oh my god, I can't, I couldn't even name like the like than Jamal Crawford, right? Like he needs to score more points than him. Uh, Scotty Scheffler needs to score more points than Aaron Wise. But using a, 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 a calculation based off their salary allows you to compare across multiple salary points. So 8.7 times value was the average for guys who were owned over 20%. In 2021, it was 7.6. In 2020, it was 7.9. So here we go. The guys who were more popular returned more of a value in 2022 than they did in 2021 and 2020. Shout out to those, those couple of years, by the way. They've been pretty consistent across the board. 2020 and 2021 were fairly similar to one another uh, in a lot of respects. 2022 has been an outlier, very clearly. Let's go deeper. Because the more chalky, the better the return. Oh boy. The chalkier, the better, which is just death to my eardrums to hear something like this. When you get to 25% or more owned, last year, 9.3 times return. In 2021, 7.5. In 2020, that was a good year too, 9.1. Still the best of the last three years for the chalkiest of golfers. Let's go deeper. 30% owned or more. 11.8 times return on their salary. 2021 was only 6.8. If you faded the chalk in 2021, you had a great year. Uh, 2020 was 11, well, 11 times. So still each of the last three years for 20, 25 and 30% ownership or more 2022 
was the best returns. It was the chalkiest. Does that mean people are getting sharper? Maybe. We can talk about that. We can opine on that. If you want one more metric, one more metric, average money left on table of the optimal lineup. Now we're, now we're, if you we're in the, we're in the weeds now, right? The optimals allow us a lineup every single week leaves X amount of, of, of money on the table. In 2022, it was about 1400 in 2021, it was about 1550 So getting closer to spending the entirety of the salary cap for the optimal lineup. There's probably a lot of factors in play here. Are odds makers getting sharper? Maybe a little bit. Are Is DraftKings getting sharper? Probably not because they're just kind of taking whatever the odds are, right? So, so if anything, that credit would go to odds makers. Uh, why, why did this happen? So there's the, the, the theory around the middle of the PGA Tour getting weaker, strengthening, strengthening the top makes complete sense to me. We had another outlier year of having so few winners. So there were nine different golfers who won multiple times on the PGA Tour in 2022. It's a lot. In fact, in the last decade, it's the most. Nine golfers won multiple times. It was matched in 2018, but outside of that, no other year could compare. For the most part, six is how many you get. We had six different multiple winners in 2021, 2020, 2017, 2016, 2015, and 2013. Six is basically the number you generally get. Nine in 2022. So think about how this would work. When you have so many guys uh, winning multiple times, it creates a situation in which by the time you get to the second win or the third win for a lot of these guys, odds makers are not going to get burnt. Scotty Scheffler gave us one really valuable win in Phoenix, right? When he was 40 or 50 to one, whatever he was in Phoenix. I think he was 40 to one in Phoenix. You never got three wins later. You never got a really another valuable win on Scotty Scheffler, right? He wins the match play. Then he's like 12 to one at the, at, at the masters and he wins that. And then you're certainly not going to get any, any value on him the rest of the way. I, I don't know what he was at the Arnold Palmer, but like, you're just not get, and, and then look at his numbers for the rest of the year. They, the odds makers are not going to get burned on the second, third and fourth wins of guys. And they didn't. And when you have so many guys who, ha, who are going for their second win, you're never getting a good price. You're only getting a good price on the first win. So that makes complete sense, okay? So odds makers shorten the odds. Now you're getting situations where when those guys are winning more frequently, you're not getting as big of a return. The top of the board's coming through. The other thing is um, when guys are having success, the general public wants to play them more, right? Go look at Scotty Scheffler's ownership in fantasy golf over the course of the year. Uh, as he kept winning, more and more people wanted to play him, obviously. He's playing well. He was the number one point scorer this year. Golfer number one by a significant margin. Uh, 80, I think it was like 89.8 DraftKings points per start. So when he is continuing to play well, more people are playing him, driving up the ownership. He continues to play well. And we have a situation where chalk continues to roll through. There were also five successful title defenses in 2022. Five of them. The last time that happened... 27, uh, 2007, 15 years ago. Of the five successful title defenses in 2007, 
Tiger had four of them. That's that's kind of gross, right? Uh, I think Jim Furyk had the other. Shout out Jim Furyk. So, what happens when a guy's about to defend his title? Well, odds makers uh, generally give that guy a little bit of a boost, right? He's going back to a golf course that he's played well at. If he's in any level of form, those odds get shortened. And when you have five guys successfully defend, you get a bunch of winners at shorter odds. When you have a golfer who is defending, that golfer is more popular in fantasy golf that week especially if they're playing anything remotely well, right? The guy who defends gets a boost in ownership. It's true. Happens every single year, every single event, every single week, every year it happens. Whether that boost is 2%, 5%, or 30%, it's a boost. Five title defenses successfully. Uh, Victor, Sam Burns, KH Lee, Rory technically, RBC Canadian, and Patrick Cantlay at the BMW Championship. Five different successful title defenses. This was, in my opinion, um, a perfect storm of chalk. That's what happened. Nine multiple winners, five successful title defenses, and an exodus of the middle tier of the tour created a perfect storm for chalk. And congrats and a hat tip to all of those of you who figured it out and profited along the way. I don't think we will get five successful title defenses again. It's, it's unlikely. Um, just because it took us 15 years to get five this time, I don't think it's going to happen again. Uh, we probably don't get nine multiple winners again. It's, un, it's unlikely. We had an outlier year. I do think, though, we will or could get a lot more 20 to 1 winners and a lot more 30 to 1 winners because of the the, the middle of the of the tour leaving. Incredible stuff. Um I, I've never seen a year like this, and it's unlikely we see another, but boy, we're gonna have to keep a close eye on on everything for the start of the of, of the new season, which which we certainly will. Uh this would normally be a time where we'd go to season superlatives, player of the year, rookie of the year. Uh, we did the first cut and we did shot of the year and biggest winner and biggest loser. I'm not going to rehash all of that. Go watch the show. It's uh, it's interesting. Kyle and I opine about, actually, it might not even be, by the time you listen to this, it's probably out, but I don't think it's out as of me speaking into this microphone. There's some good conversation in there. We have a lot of fun with it. I don't think we need to rehash that. Um, just on the record, player the, the player of the year and the rookie of the year race are in my opinion, over. They're, they're mortal locks. Uh, Scotty's your player of the year despite blowing a six-shot lead with a round to go at Eastlake. I could argue you, you don't get to win player of the year if you blow a six-shot lead on Sunday at the Tour Championship for the FedEx Cup, but uh, it, it, the rest of the resume is way too good. Uh, Cam Young gets finished, or Cam Smith, excuse me, should finish second in voting. I don't know if he will, right? I don't know if the guys voted. So you're, you're voted on this by your peers, so that means Rory and everybody who's still on the PGA Tour, who's still a member of the PGA Tour, is going to sit down and cast a vote. Even if Cam Smith won the FedEx Cup, he probably had a, a resume that was deserving of winning the Player of the Year. I don't think they would have given it to him. I think they just would have voted for Scotty. Uh, but without winning the FedEx Cup, Cam had an unbelievable year. It's, se- it's second to Scotty's, right? It's just it's second to Scotty's year. And then Rory finishes basically... Easily the third best player. 
it's it's that order. I don't know if that's the way the voting is going to go down. The voting might go Scotty, Rory, Cam, just because of uh, the nature of Cam leaving. But that's that's the order. If you want to have a conversation about who finished fourth, you could argue Justin Thomas. You could argue Matt Fitzpatrick. You could argue. I actually think it's Will Zalatoris who finally got a win, didn't win a major, but was splendid uh, across the board. I'd actually and and I can't penalize him for him getting hurt in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So I I probably say Will Zalatoris is number four. Rookie of the year, I think it's a runaway. Uh, I think it's Cam Young. He did not win, but the only winners that we saw were Tom Kim and uh, Chad Ramey, as far as rookies go. Cam Young was splendid across the board. He did in major championships. Sahith probably gets my vote for second. Tom Kim would be the only guy who could who could pass Cam Young, or excuse me, could pass Sahith for, for, for second. Tom Kim won. He won an event. Uh but unfortunately, he only played 11 times. It's hard to kind of give him the longevity aspect of things. So I go Cam Young, Sahith, and then Tom Kim. We did have a statistical outlier. And I'm not sure it's in a year that he loved. But John Rahm completed off the tee supremacy. So John Rahm gained a shot and a quarter per round off the tee. 1.025. So actually not a shot and a quarter. 1.025. Got to get my tenths, my hundredths figured out here. Over 74 rounds. That was only the 12th occurrence in the shot link era, which dates back to 2004, in which a golfer gained more than a stroke off the tee. It's only the 12th time. Think about that. So that's, what, 18 years? 18 years, every single golfer on tour? It's only happened 12 times? And it's only happened by like five different golfers because there's a lot of Bryson years. There's a lot of Dustin Johnson years. There's a lot of Bubba and Rory years, right? John Rahm just became the 12th golfer to ever do it. And compared to the other 11, it's by far the worst season. Off the tee, um, because it's so consistent, because you get to use it 14 times around, right? Uh, you get a perfect lie. The off the tee leaderboard almost looks like the FedEx Cup leaderboard by the end of the year because those they're just it's such a valuable skill set that if you're elite at it you're probably going to have an elite year. John Rahm was elite at it and had the worst of the elite driving years. So, um, I mean, he had one win, which was a three a three and a half to one favorite at Mexico, an event that resembled more of a corn fairy tour event won that and that's it if you look at the other 11 years uh all but Bubba Watson in 2012 Sergio Garcia in 2005 Sergio was the first to do it and John Rahm in 2022 everybody else won multiple times Bryson I mean, I mean, DJ won four times in 2017. Rory won four times in 2012. DJ won three times in 2016. Rory won three times in 2014. Rory won three times in 2019. If you are on this list, you should be winning. John Rahm's also, this season also was uh, the worst of the money list. He finished 15th on the money list. Nobody else finished outside of seventh. He finished 15th in the regular season FedEx Cup standings. Again, by far the worst. Seventh, Bryson DeChambeau in 2021 was the, was the next worst. This is, 
This is a historically amazing skilled season in which he got historically little out of. Absolutely bizarre. One win in Mexico, plus 350. Um, In terms of value, there's a lot of different ways to look at who the most valuable golfer of the year was, which I think is a more interesting conversation than who the player of the year was. Player of the year is locked up, rookie of the year locked up. Most valuable golfer, now we got a lot of different ways to look at this. By the way, the PGA Tour tweeted out a blindly bet article. If you blindly bet $100 every single week on golfer X, Y, and Z, how much are you going to return? The PGA Tour tweeted that out. 18 months ago, the PGA Tour did not acknowledge gambling existed. Now they tweet out a blindly bet article. Love to see it. Um, The way they did it was only for the guys who were in the tour championship, though. So there was only 30 golfers. Max Homa was the best on the list. I've got the whole season here. Uh, The top dog no longer plays on the PGA Tour. It's Hudson Swafford. So if you bet Hudson Swafford $100 in all 21 of his starts in 2022, you made $23,000. That's number one. Trey Molinax was number two, obviously, because he won one event at like 150 to one. $15,500. $15,500. Sepp Straka up there, $11,200. JJ Spawn, $8,300. KH Lee, $7,500. Max Homa is the first guy with multiple wins, right? So Max Homa, you bet Max Homa 100 bucks every single week. He teed it up 20 times. You made $6,000. The one guy that always pops up on these lists um, is Colin Morikawa, or at least for his career. Didn't do it. No wins, right? You're a loser. You were a loser on Colin Morikawa this year. The guy that I always bet on, 18 starts, Victor Hovland, up 1100 bucks. Thank you, Victor. Roy McIlroy, the same amount. The big winners of the year, Scotty Scheffler, obviously four wins, up 3500 Even if in a year in which, this is, this is why, this is why golf, golf betting is so difficult. In a year where Scotty Scheffler is going to be the runaway player of the year, in a year that he won four times, if you bet on him every single week, you only made 3500 bucks in 11 months. I mean, I take it, right? Thank you. But that's not, it's not enough. It's not enough. This is so hard to do. Uh, Sam Burns, 4300 Guys who are dead even. End with a win. Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas won a major. And if you bet on him every single week, you were dead even. 19 starts. Because he wins at what he went at 16 to one, gives it all back, you know, or I guess he won at 18 to one. That, that would make the ad math up or 19 to one. Um, Patrick Cantlay with a win, with two, actually, this probably doesn't include his Zurich win, but with a win, lost you 100 bucks. John Rahm with a win, lost you 1150. Tough, tough scene. Um, to go back to the, the the multiple of salary conversation, which I think is a really good way to rank offers. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, Scotty Scheffler, as I mentioned, averaged more fantasy points than anybody else on the season. He's golfer number one. It would be easy to crown him as most valuable golfer, but he was $10,446 on average in terms of salary, over 26 starts. So if you take the multiple of, of, of salary, break it down into value, your MVP, most valuable player, most valuable golfer, MVG, is Taylor Pendrith. 9.6 times value. That's 71 points at around $7,300 in salary. KH Lee was next. Cam Young, Taylor Gooch, and Aaron Wise, all over nine times salary 
over a bunch of starts. I think I did a minimum of 15 starts here. Of golfers over $10,000, it was not Scotty Scheffler who was most valuable. It was Xander Schauffele. 8.69 times his salary. Uh, we've got some reflecting to do. We've got some numbers to crunch. We are days away from the new season in which a chunk of good players will not be participating in. There'll be an influx from the Corn Ferry Tour. For sure, we'll cover those guys. But I think we are going to see this run of short, odd golfers. I think it's going to continue. Until until the market starts to figure itself out, until the tour starts to figure itself out, I think we're going to see more and more winners, sub-20, sub-30 to 1, especially right out of the gate here. Um and then I think it'll start to adjust itself. We'll, we won't see guys at such short odds and, and everybody will figure itself out. But uh, we've, we've got to keep a close eye on that because year of the chalk might continue for a while. Might be two years of chalk. And we'll have to see how it all shakes out. All right, that'll do it. This has been a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. Catch you next time.